St. John. This is the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. So we are talking about your sermon from the Sunday, Luke 10. Can you tell us a little bit about that text? Yeah, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. Jesus sends out the 72. Uh, usually in the Synoptic Gospels, we hear about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, and unique to Luke is Jesus also sends out 72 disciples. And you get the discussion of two by two, and they go out, kind of a short-term missionary trip, and then they come back and report what happened. Can I ask you a question about those 72 apostles? Like, what do we know about them? Like, are they all men, like the 12 disciples? Yeah, so we, yeah, I don't know if we would call them apostles, uh, but 72, I don't even think you get the word disciple. Let me check here. Uh, and after these things, the Lord sent out others, 72 of them, and he sent them two by two before him into the towns that he was getting ready to go into. And so you just... So we don't know. Yeah, just it's just 72 others. And uh, yeah, these are just disciples of Jesus that he sends out, uh, kind of preparing the way. I thought a little bit about the... Uh, the Old Testament reading from the previous week, from 1 Kings, you get Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha, he is driving 12 oxen. He's plowing. And I thought that was an interesting image to think about how Jesus has his 12 apostles who are preparing the way to proclaim Christ. Uh, same sort of thing here that these are sent ahead and Jesus is going to go and preach the gospel uh, following them as well. Tell me about the central teaching. The central teaching of the sermon is dealing with how Jesus is rescuing us from uh, from Satan. Uh, Satan is our chief foe, and Satan wants to distract us from seeing the real problem, the real situation at hand, which is sin, death, and hell. That was something I really liked about your sermon was when you said, we fail to see the real problem at hand. So you said it's uh, the, the real problem and the real situation is the turbulence of sin, death, and hell. So the real problem is sin, death, and hell. And I thought the story you had with the flight attendant was really good of giving us an example of failing to see the real problem at hand. Uh, do you want to just briefly tell us what happened to this flight attendant? Uh, yeah. As I shared, I was boarding a plane from, is actually Washington, D.C. to Newark. And it was just, she was the passenger sitting next to me. And it was just our conversation in like the 10 minutes before we took off. Right. And you said that she doesn't like it when people press the call button. Yeah. I was trying to come up with questions to ask her. And, and so I asked her what was her least favorite thing about flying these days. And that was the answer you know, when people press the call button. So it's either for very ins insignificant things or for a real medical emergency. Yeah, it's... There's very little uh, middle ground, it Which seems. I'm sure made us all feel really bad for those who have <laughs> pressed the call button. Yeah, it was war. interesting to see uh, people's reactions when I told that story of either like a, maybe annoyed at the flight attendant of like, how could she say that? Or maybe some guilt of, yeah, I pressed the call button for something kind of Yeah, mundane. I had a little bit of guilt there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, but you mentioned how there's a lot of turbulence on one flight and someone pressed the call button. And there was an announcement, like, please don't press the call button unless there's an actual medical emergency. And then the call button was pressed again. She gets, she's the lucky person who gets to go see what happened and right. what was the reason that she pressed it. 
Yeah, it was a passenger who wanted a cup of water during rather severe turbulence in the flight. Yeah. So what a fantastic example of just someone who failed to see the real problem at hand. Right. We just forget the fact that you're thousands of feet up in the air, right? And as soon as those wheels leave the ground, like, what's, what's the real situation here? You know, there's a lot more going on than just simple thirst. It also made me think of the parable of the great banquet. Because wouldn't you say the men who, ha- who had their excuses of why they couldn't come, they bought the field, the oxen, one just got married, like, those were, those were pretty insignificant, wouldn't you say? Or, well, I mean, maybe not to them. But compared to the banquet, which why would you not come to that? Yeah. Is there similarities between those? Would you say? Yeah. And this is such a huge theme with the call of the gospel, right? We think about when Jesus calls uh, James and John and they just leave their father Zebedee, right? They're attending nets with him. Or you get the example of someone wants to follow Christ and he says, well, I have to go and bury my father. And Jesus says, no, 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 follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And these are just really shocking things that Jesus says. And yet the call of Christ, the call of the gospel, not only to follow Christ and be one of his disciples or apostles, but more so to be a believer of Christ, uh, to trust in him means to prioritize rightly. I mean, it's really a first commandment question of what is actually the situation, what is actually the problem, and uh, getting our financial matters in order, like, you know, buying that oxen, as you mentioned, what is that in comparison to the the debt of sin we have against our God who has come to rescue us from it? And even the 72 apostles got into that a little bit. Um, I mean, they were rejoicing that the spirits were submitting to them, right? But Jesus was, you know, said, well, actually rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So even though they kind of lost that eternal perspective, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, so you have this with the 12 uh, apostles, you have this with the 72 disciples, that so often they lose sight of what's going on. Uh, I, I had a prophet seminary that would say, whenever the disciples would open their mouths to say something, you would have the theme song, the monkeys play in the background. And that would be a, a good way to realize it's probably not going to be helpful, or it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a misguided thought, or not quite where it should be. And while Jesus gave them this authority to do these things, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, it's so easy to get caught up in those things and to miss the eternal perspective of it is the Lord Jesus who is doing this. It is the Lord Jesus who is putting his creation right and rescuing. And he's doing so through the means of preachers. Now, thinking about who you were preaching to, you're preaching to the congregation at St. John. Uh, Do you think it's easy for us to lose sight of what's going on? Uh, Yeah, and I think that's one of the tough things with this reading. Uh, Whenever you have the sending of the 12 or the sending of the 72, it's really focused on preachers. It's really focused on the the workers in the church. And so how do I connect it to my congregation? How do I connect it to my hearers? And I thought that idea of not seeing the real problem, real situation, thinking about the 72 being, ah, look, the demons are subject to us in your name that kind of misguided thought. And so I thought that flight attendant story with the cup of water was a nice bridge to kind of allow us all to realize we've all been a part of this. We have people who do not believe um, in the world around us that don't see the real problem. Even ourselves as Christians are in day-to-day life. We don't see the real problem situation. And it's not just the hearers this happens to, it's also the preachers. And so I thought that that's why I like that flight attendant story because it allowed me to make that connection to all three groups. Those who do not believe us Christians who do believe and 
you know, in our actions and lives, we can fail to see the problem and also the preachers themselves. Uh, we all get tripped up on this. And you've had some really convicting examples too for us about just maybe when we're looking at a college for, for a child or whatnot, and you forget to think about, uh, is there an LCMS congregation where, where they can commune or if there's a game on Sunday that, you know, we choose. So, you know, we're not probably, we're not going into those situations thinking, oh, we don't care about God, but it, you know, we, we just forget maybe what our priorities are. Would you say that's kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, it, I, I think so. And it's, it is stunning how quickly we can get out of the habit of, of receiving God's gifts. Uh, I have a friend, he's a pastor over in Illinois and talking with him one time, he was sharing about one of his members that really faithful tender was there every week for Sunday. And there's all of a sudden he just wasn't there. And, you know, he follows up with him and talks with him. And it just turns out he just missed church one Sunday. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And it was just one Sunday. And it just, and he just said to uh, his pastor, I just got out of the habit. And it's, it's, it's a stunning thing how we can be so pulled away from the things that matter, the things of God's gifts, his forgiveness, his life, his salvation given to us through the word, given to us through the Lord's Supper. And the devil knows us and can pull us away so simply. And it's, ah, just a game on Sunday. Well, then there's this, and then there's this. And, you know, first things should be first for a reason. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to think of. Just there's definitely a warning involved to that these things can snowball. I like that word. Um, but then it's it's also interesting, too, because you ended with him 666. Oh, little flock, fear not the foe. And I couldn't help noticing that we're calling Satan and his work a joke in it, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like one sense there's this warning to take this seriously that Jesus is sending us as lambs in the the midst of wolves, right? Uh, but at the same time, because he's protecting us, there is this, um, we're able to call Satan a joke, I guess. That's what I'm trying to get at. Like, it's both things, would you say? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And that's another tension with the reading. Uh, you get at the beginning of the reading, the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And that was one of my early thoughts with the sermon process of, well, we can talk about how there's not a lot of church workers and there's a shortage. And and we just, you know, Deaconess, you and I know this in our conversations and work in the church that there is definitely a need for for workers in the church. There's need for pastors and deaconesses and all sorts of, of help within the church. And it's really easy to kind of get down to the dumps about this and to be really defeatist sounding and even have a defeatist tone. And it's really easy to get caught up in the in the middle part of the reading when Jesus says, ah, you know, don't worry about where you're going to eat. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. There'll be a son of peace who'll take care of you. Uh, don't take a, a knapsack with you or, you know, even your sandals. Don't worry about that. You know, don't take the extra pair. It's going to be okay. And that the labor is worth his wages. It's really easy to be worried about that. Oh, will, will the church make the budget? Or will they be able to support a pastor or church worker? And, and all these sorts of things. And it's, again, easy to sound defeatist. And that's why I wanted to bring in this hymn at the end is, yes, we recognize our real foe. We recognize his temptations are real. It's so easy to get distracted from these things and, and you know, how quickly we can fall away from the faith. And even still, 
he is our defeated foe. And he's our defeated foe because of our Savior. And so I really wanted to kind of juxtapose those things at the end that, yeah, we recognize our foe, we recognize the real problem, but more importantly, we recognize the real solution. Well, and that's sort of answering the next question I was going to get at is how did you get to Jesus? So Jesus being the real Savior, the solution to this problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And so while the hymn will talk about uh, our demonic foe, it also sings of our great captain who fights for us. Uh, that uh, at the end of the day, what is the devil's scheming? What is the devil's plotting? And uh, one refrain I used in the sermon again and again that, oh, no, uh, there's not enough laborers, there's not enough pastors or church workers. I talked about, you know, uh, Vicar James's uh, seminary class size. I talked about, you know, how will we know where we'll end up or we'll be fed or this sort of stuff. And then also how easily we get pulled away. We fail to see the real problem. And each time I ended with saying something like, but Jesus told the 72 that it would be this way. And that should give us some comfort. And my point of that is a reminder of Jesus isn't surprised by this. It's even part of his plan. It's part of the mystery of God that he chooses inefficient, weak people <laughs> to bring about his purpose and work. He's not surprised by this. And even in, in, in the Greek as well, uh, the, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Ask the Lord to send out laborers into, and it says in the Greek, his harvest. It's not, oh no, will we you know, have enough resources? Will we save enough people or anything? God's got this figured out. It's his harvest. It's his creation. It's his work of redemption. And mysteriously, he does it through inefficient, weak people like us, like so, the whole church. <laughs> to us, it seems very understaffed, right? That there are too few workers. Um, but you're saying it's good to remember that this is God's harvest and yeah. he is choosing workers and it may seem like too few, Yes, but he's still working even amongst too few inefficient sinners, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just how often we hear stories of, ah, attendance uh, is declining in worship across the United States and in the church, and uh, we mentioned the shortage of church workers. And again, it's just easy to sound so defeatist and sound like we're playing a losing hand. And I just remember at my time at the seminary, the, the president at the time was named Dale Meyer. And Dr. Meyer would again and again, and he says uh, just a wonderful, booming radio voice, and he would just say, it is a good time to be the church. It is not a time to sound weak. It is not a time to be timid, but we have our Lord. He is our captain, and he, he has won the fight, and it's always a good time to be the church. And just to have that assured confidence, and yes, there is uncertainty. Yes, we don't see the end of it, but we have our Lord who saw Satan fall like lightning. The 72 didn't see it, Jesus does, and he sees it through. And so it's those two realities there together that in the midst of our whatever mundane stuff is going on today, whatever work needs to be done in the church and no, more sermons to be preached, and, and for us, uh, the youth gathering is coming, and so, you know, hours of driving on the road with our high school youth. In all of that, the Lord's work is being done, and we trust that it is a good time to be the church. It's the Lord's church, and he has rescued it. So something you mentioned that, I, I am a little curious about, just to, I don't know if I'm changing the subject too much, but in the reading, you mentioned Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So I am just trying to understand like why Jesus says that. And is he trying to show like the defeat of Satan 
in that that he's seen the defeat or is he trying to show like satan is real like a real foe and we should fear or be be careful like i guess i'm just trying to see where jesus is coming from when he says that yeah there's a lot of mystery about that statement from jesus because it just comes out of the blue and and i love that the reading went the full 20 verses it didn't just stop with jesus sending out the 72 and they're coming back with good news it actually continues on with jesus saying oh yeah i also saw this and so some have wondered is it just talking about the fall of satan you know near the beginning Right after the creation, you have Satan and his angels that fall, and that's I saw that in the past. And this is in response to the apostles saying that the evil spirits are right submitting. The- yeah, and maybe it's kind of like a, a Job sort of situation. Of were you there in the beginning, Job? Uh, oh yeah, you seventy-two disciples. What do you? Okay, great. I'm glad the demons listened to you, but they listened to you because I was there in the beginning and I saw Satan fall. You know, mm-hmm. is is that yeah. the way to kind of take it, or is it in that moment? in the the incarnate Christ is sending out his disciples into the world and it is the church reclaiming the territory of the creation it is the it is the good news of Christ uh, reconquering what has been taken away and so Jesus sees the fall of Satan happening you know is that the way to kind of in, which culminates in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and so it's I kind of like just leaving it alone and just kind of take the all-in-one sort of answer but I love how it just interrupts the 72 in their perspective. It interrupts what, what they see. They're so tunnel visioned, and Jesus sees the full thing. He sees everything that's going on and the, the cosmic war that he has won. What was the challenge for you with the sermon process? I think the challenge for me going into the reading was knowing that the, the 72, the sending them out, is very focused on church workers. And how do I talk about that with the whole congregation and not just talk about this select group of people over here, but how can we all be a part of this together? And I knew that going in. And so, like I said, I thought the flight attendant story allowed me to bring everyone in that way to help us see the real situation. I think the other issue is be, you could either focus on that first part of the, the sending the 72 or Satan like lightning. And so I thought about maybe just talk about Satan for a while or just say, what do the scriptures teach about the devil and just make a sermon about that? But I wanted to hold it all together because the reading holds it all together. And so those are some things that were kind of heading into I knew I'd have to work through. There are a lot of directions you could have taken the sermon. I mean, it's a long gospel, 20 verses, right? Yep. And yeah, you could have gone in many different directions. So where do you find the sermon's teaching in the small catechism? I think there's a couple of places. Of course, in the Lord's Prayer about temptation, you know, God tempts no one. Um, that would be free from the devil's temptations. But I think I'd want to jump to the second article of the Creed. It talks about how Jesus has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. Uh, Luther always sees this three-headed foe, this unholy trinity, if you will, that wars against us. This is what Christ has come to rescue us from. Jesus did not just save us from our sins. He did not just save us from death. He has come to save us from that old evil foe who now means deadly woe. Yeah, I'd also like to add on, I think it's that goes hand in hand with seventh petition to deliver us from evil. Yeah. Evil being the evil one as part of that. Yeah. And it's interesting you think about the six and seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Some will count them together as one and some will separate them out, but you almost have to say it in the same breath lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And ultimately, Christ has and will. And yet, what is our existence of this, as the church? What is the existence of the 72? We're in like the comma between the six and seven petitions. 
we're in the midst of temptation and testing and trial with the sure confidence of evil does not win. And that is our existence until Christ returns. And that's, I mean, like that, that kind of quandary, you know, that's where the defeatist tone can kind of come in. And yet that confidence of Christ told us to be this way. And that's the comfort we have. Yeah, I love that. And the last line of the meaning saying, like when our last hour comes, that he'd graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. It does make me think of what Jesus told the apostles that to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. Yeah. Just there's a similarity with with our final hope being in in Christ, right? Uh, you get the mention kind of the book of life sort of language in Revelation and yeah, you're baptized. You've been marked. You belong to the king and he's reclaiming his territory. Well, thank you, Pastor, for this discussion and our time together. If you would like to listen to this sermon again, check out the show notes. And the sermon's also on stjohndublin.org. And we love it when our listeners submit questions. So feel free to submit a question by emailing us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you again, Pastor, for feeding us the word this week. Yeah, absolutely. And Deaconess, if it'd be okay, I like to Try something different and close by reading the the words of A Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe. I actually thought you were about to sing. Oh, no. Uh, no, the congregation has to endure that only a little bit on Sunday. No, I, I just love this hymn, and I love the story behind it of, so which which hymn gets the number 666? Sure. And I, I just love the, the confidence in this hymn. And also, how cool is it that you get to have the rhyme of facade and God? Like, that that's always cool. So here we go. Let's close with this, and this will be our prayer for the week. O little flock, fear not the foe, who madly seeks your overthrow. Dread not his rage and power, and though your courage sometimes faints, his seeming triumph or God's saints lasts but a little hour. Be of good cheer, your cause belongs to him who can avenge your wrongs. Leave it to him, our Lord. Though hidden yet from mortal eyes, his Gideon shall for you arise, uphold you in his word. As true as God's own word is true, not earth nor hell's satanic crew against us shall prevail. Their might, a joke, a mere facade. God is with us and we with God. Our victory cannot fail. Amen. Lord Jesus grant our prayer. Great Captain, now thine arm make bare. Fight for us once again. So shall thy saints and martyrs raise a mighty chorus to thy praise forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Uh, just a quick heads up. Uh, next week, we won't have the usual Postman podcast, but we have a special episode that we recorded before Vicar James left. And it's kind of a farewell episode and talking about vicarage and seminary and just some kind of um, behind the scenes stuff about uh, what it's like to have a vicar here at St. John. And then we'll be back with our usual Postman podcast uh, looking ahead after that. Thank you. See you. Bye, everyone. Bye.